Amen. Um, for the rest of us, I'm going to introduce our preacher today. Alice Watts is going to be preaching for us. I'm going to pray for Alice, and then I'll hand over to her. Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, my dear sister Alice, Lord Jesus. Thank you, uh, Lord, for the richness of truth that you've placed in her life. Lord, thank you that, uh, Lord, even, Lord, her life is, is one uh, that honors you, that blesses you. And Jesus, I just pray that you would really use her mightily. Lord, I pray that you would speak through her. And Lord, I pray, would you give us ears to hear what you are saying? Lord, that you would uh, speak to us through your word. Um, Lord, that you would convict us where necessary. Lord, you would encourage us. Uh, Lord, you would strengthen us. Lord, that we might be able to live lives that, that more fully glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. You sow seed out, and some of it lands in different places. And one of those places is the um, where there's thorns and weeds growing, and the weeds choke that seed from growing and stop it from being able to grow into its full potential. And Jesus, when he explains this parable to his disciples, says that the word of God, signif- uh, the seed signifies the word of God, and the The weeds and the thorns are the anxieties of this world that stop us from growing into our full potential, into all that he's called us to be. Um, And and it stops the word of God from from growing in our life and changing us to make us look more like Jesus. So this week, we are looking at the anxiety of comparison, why everyone else seems to have it sorted. And you kind of sometimes think, is it only me that has struggles in this world? And the title that I've been given is, Why Does Everyone Else's Life Seem Better Than Mine? Why is it that sometimes you look around and you think people have more money, maybe they have better relationships, maybe their career looks a lot better than yours, maybe they seem to have a happier family or a bigger family, maybe their faith looks better than yours, maybe even it's a physical thing, like they have nicer clothes, or they have a nice watch, or... Like, even the food in restaurants, you kind of look over at someone else's food on a different table and you think, I want that food. (laughs) I ordered the wrong thing. Um, So often we can just believe this lie that if I had that, if I had that life, if I had that thing, then maybe if I had that relationship, I would be happy. Um, And it can cause us anxiety when we compare ourselves to others and it can make us depressed, it can make us jealous, it can make us sad. Um, as Christians, we are called to be free from anxiety and to throw off everything that hinders. So how can we be free of this anxiety of comparison? If we unpack the question here that we're asking in the title, why does everyone else's life seem better than mine? It, it puts us at the center. It's all about us. How can I get a good life? How can, it, how, can I be, um, how can I get the best out of life? And it's a very modern and Western way of thinking And I want to step outside of that. Our culture has conditioned us to think like that. But I want to today step outside of that um, way of thinking and look at this from a biblical perspective. And I'm going to look through the lens of uh, Acts 17. So you can turn in your Bibles to Acts 17. I'm not going to jump there just yet. Because I want to look at, before we move into that, I'm going to look at three areas today. So I'm going to look at the deception that we're under. The sin that we commit, and then how we can find peace with God and peace and freedom from anxiety of comparison. So, first of all, I'm going to look at the deception. 
Um, the lie is the grass is always greener, right? It's always better over there. Um, and uh, <laughs> picture, picture a man, a, dash, a dashing young man in his tailor-made suit and his handmade Swiss watch. And he wakes up and he kisses his perfect wife and his perfect children goodbye. He slides into his Tesla. He drives through the streets of London. The lights still turn green. There's no traffic. He, gets to, he, he swings by the gym on the way to work. And he has a personal trainer just to work on his abs because he's got a flawless body. And then he gets to work and he does a few deals, makes another million for the company gets home, his perfect wife has put the kids to bed and made him dinner, and he gets to just snuggle up on the sofa and enjoy her. And then picture a woman who wakes up in the morning. Her, she's had nine hours of in, in, uninterrupted, perfect sleep because her children have slept through the night. <laughs> she looks amazing, even though she's got no makeup on. She's got hair that's just wonderful and just flows on her silk sheets. Her children stumble into her room and, just, and fall on her bed, and they're already dressed, even though they're two years old, they can dress themselves. <laughs> her husband's downstairs. He's made, like... the pancakes and fresh fruit for her and um, her, her friend comes and picks her up and takes her kids to school for her so that she could just walk to work in the sunshine and everything's perfect she gets to work nobody argues everyone gets on with each other everyone agrees you know this is this is kind of tongue-in-cheek but this is the kind of life that you see on instagram that you see on social media everyone has this perfect life and you just think what am i the only one that's struggling here um, and I, Instagram and Facebook are like these ideal platforms for creating the perfect image of a perfect life. And it's because people just pick the best bits of their life, their best holiday, their best adventures, their best party, and they put it up there and they add a nice filter. And it's like this illusion, this optical illusion that we... It's like when you're in a desert and you see there's an oasis and you're parched and you think, I'm nearly there. And it's like that with Instagram. You just think, if only I had that thing... If only I had, yeah, that person's got that really nice car. If I had that really nice car, then I'd be happy. And it's an illusion. Um, and advertisers take these images of perfection, of a happy life, and they make money out of them. And they put these images everywhere, so much so that we're convinced. We start from thinking, oh, that looks nice. And then we see it again and again and again when you go to the doctor's when you go, uh, you pick up a magazine, you go on Instagram, you go to work, there's images everywhere of what the perfect life, the happy life looks like. And you start to believe that these things will make you happy. And then you start, it changes from just like a want to a need. And you're like, no, I need that new guitar. It's going to make me happy if I have that new guitar. And it, when it turns into an emotion, that's when it's game over. Because we are led by emotions and we make decisions by our emotions, and, and the advertisers know that, and they really tap into it. And, um, you know, as humans, we like things that make us happy, don't we? And social media is, like, is perfect, because we like a bit of interaction, we like a bit of um, attention, and if you're feeling down, you can just, oh, just go on, just post a picture and get some love. And um, you get something in your brain is produced when you get that little hit of happiness called dopamine, and um, it's basically a chemical that we need in our brain to function. So it helps us think, move, sleep, helps with motivation. But there's something interesting about dopamine in that it gives us the desire to seek something out and get a reward. And then when we get that reward, we get happiness. And most things in life, 
take a little bit of work to, get, uh, to seek out and, and, and time and input to get a reward. But with social media, it's instant gratification. And it's unpredictable, so you don't know when that like's going to come in. You don't know when someone's going to appreciate what you've done. But it comes, and it comes quite quickly. And these quick hits of happiness really play into the millennial generation, Generation Z, you know, anyone born from the 80s to 95, that generation of people who had just grown up on social media, grown up um, just getting instant, instant everything, you know, fast food, fast internet, quick dry paint, speed dating, all these things that just come so easily. It doesn't, we don't have to work hard to get pleasure in this generation. Um, but we forget that instant happiness doesn't necessarily mean deep happiness. Nottingham Trent University said they did a study on 18 to 33-year-olds and they say that the, Brit the Brits at that age group check their phone between 28 and 85 times a day. They spend three to five hours on their phone a day. Can you imagine if we hugged people 85 times a day, how much the world would be much, a much nicer place? Or if we spent three to five hours with our friends and family, loving them instead of on our phones? There's another study... And it says the more we use our phone, the more we are addicted to it and the more lonely, moody and jealous that we get. A psychologist in Derby University said the most common sign of addiction is higher forms of narcissism defined as excessive admiration of oneself and one's physical appearance. And the irony is that we're looking to our phones often to make us happy, but actually they're making us anxious. The University of Copenhagen has coined the phrase Facebook envy, you look on Facebook and you see something, you think, oh, I want that. Um, Tim Bono, who's written a book called When Likes Aren't Enough, uh, says we derive a sense of worth based on how we are doing relative to others. We place our happiness in a variable that is completely beyond our control. FOMO is a millennial term. You see what others are doing and you get anxious or lonely. And we can spend so long trying to get the perfect photo and the perfect filter, we don't actually experience the moment at all. So we could blame advertisers, we could blame marketers, and we could blame social media, but actually what the Bible tells us is the problem is actually in here, is our hearts. And the deception that the grass is greener is a lie. Actually, if we, got, if we had that thing, our hearts would remain the same. It might even be worse if we had that thing, because we'd think... Um, we can just get everything that we want. And um, if we really want to be free from the anxiety of, of comparison, we need to look at our hearts and we need to look at our idols and we need to look at what we're actually worshipping. So, Acts 17. I'm going to go through it bit by bit. I'm going to start with verse 22 to 23. It should come up on the screen. Here we go. Uh, Men of Athens... I see that in every way you are very religious, for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. So in Athens at this time, people were worshipping statues and idols, and um, they were essentially looking for protection from these things. And... They didn't know which god was god, so they just worshipped lots of different gods, and they hoped that one of them would be powerful enough to save them. And they even had an altar for an unknown god, and that was if, if they hadn't covered it all with all the others, then maybe this unknown god would cover it. If they had an altar to an un unknown god, it was a, a god that they hadn't found yet, maybe that would cover it and that they would get salvation and protection from that god. Um, and what Paul points out is... 
it's not only unknown which God that they should be worshipping, but it's actually they're completely unaware that they're actually worshipping idols. They're worshipping things that have no power to save them. And as much as we don't want to put ourselves in, in, the, in the shoes of the Athenians back then, we're, we're the same. We're so blind to what we worship, often. And the minute we look to something or someone to, to make us happy and we start worshipping that thing, it's an idol and it's sinful and it's deeply, deeply offensive to God. In Exodus 20, God says, you shall have no other gods but me. And we, like the Athenians, we, we like to look to things to protect us and keep us safe. But our, our idols look very different. Could be a successful career that gives you a reputation to hide behind. An image of ourself that's perfect, the flawless Instagram feed. A string of achievements or qualifications that make you feel worthy. A perfect family life. Money, sex, basically anything that gives us power and safety. And... and, and um, it could be cars, holidays, it could be tangible things, but it's anything that makes us feel safe and loved. And these can be really good things, but we can get obsessed with them and we can start worshipping them instead of God, and that is where we start to struggle. Because we have this innate desire to worship something. We have this innate desire to seek out something and be loved in return and be protected in return. And the advertisers manipulate this and, and they manipulate these dopamine chemicals and um, this, this thing in our DNA that wants us to seek out and, and be rewarded um, is tragically short-circuited. So that we're so accustomed to the short hits of happiness that we never really need to search for God. We get emotional, we get insecure, we just look on our phone and think, oh, I'll just, I'll just post something then I'll get a bit of love. Um, but actually, we're born to live in a relationship with God. Um, and we will start to starve spiritually. And our brains will start to forget what we're called to, which is deep communion with God and deep contentment with God, if we don't look to him and if we start worshipping other things. We'll start to live in the shallows. And we'll never really reach our true freedom and our true peace. And our minds will never be truly transformed by the word of God. Um, you know, if Jesus came tomorrow, what would he find us worshipping? Where does all our money go? Where does our time go? What are we devoted to? Because we can't take our PhD to heaven with us. We can't take our car. We can't take our holidays or even our spouse. There are things that we can take to, uh, into eternity with us. But the Bible tells us that our treasures in heaven are the things that we sacrifice for others not the things that we gain for ourselves on earth. In Matthew 19, it's, Jesus says to the rich man, go sell your belongings and give them to the poor, then you will have treasures in heaven. Come follow me. So opposite to the world, isn't it? The treasure that Jesus finds valuable is sacrifice. It's not what we're doing here, is it? We keep collecting things here. So verse 24, 25 we can switch to that. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Everything is God's. We are his. We were born to be his. And um, so, so often we find our identity in other things. 
So who are we if we take away all these things that we have? Are we really that impressive? I don't think we are. Without Jesus. You know, there's some really impressive things in this world. But but everything fades. The fastest world record, the tallest building, the greatest career. Everything is superseded or fades. It's never enough. There's always someone younger, more creative, richer, faster, more dynamic, better looking. And then we get to that realization. We get anxious. We get depressed or we get disillusioned. But the Bible tells us our identity is that we were created by God, for God, for his glory, created to fill the earth, to tell of him who brought us from darkness into light and to enjoy him forever. If we bring up verse 26 to 28. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of you of your own poets have said, we are indeed his offspring. I was fascinated by that part. Perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. We can find God And he's given us specific places and specific times to live in so that we might seek him out and reach out to him and find him. There's so much purpose. Our purpose is in having a relationship with him. We are created to live with him for eternity. And he's given us so many gifts. He's given us the gift of life. And he's given us so much more than just the gift of life. And sometimes we just take these gifts and, and we're meant to enjoy them in the presence of the Father. These, these good things are meant to bring us closer to God. And instead, we just we want to lock ourselves in a room and just have them to ourselves. The Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Verse 29. Um, Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given us assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And that is Jesus. There will be judgment for our sin and our idolatry, See, comparing yourself to someone isn't necessarily a sin, but it's the jealousy and the anxiety and the addictions and the depression that is so offensive to God. And we sin against him and we sin against our neighbor by worshiping our own image and putting ourselves first or by valuing other people's opinions and putting them first. I, um, I got hit by this like a ton of bricks recently. Um, and it is an area that I struggle with, valuing other people's opinions higher than God's. And um, uh, <laughs> I want to share just a, a, something that happened to me over Christmas. So um, I went home for Christmas. I, 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 my family is a bit broken, so I, I spent most of my time divided. But for one reason or another, I spent the majority of my time with my mum over Christmas. And I only got one day with my dad. And I loved time with my dad, and it was really precious. And um, for those of you, some of you know my dad, um, he's amazing. Um, he's a really good man, and 
I'm so inspired by him. He's, he had a really tr troubled childhood, and he's... You know, there's some people that, have, that suffer, and they choose to take that suffering and sacrifice, and he's one of those people that he suffered a lot as a child, and then he spent most of his life basically trying to provide for his family, and he's changed the whole industry supporting disabled people. He's a great man, um, and he uh, isn't a Christian yet. <laughs> um, so my worldview and his worldview is very different, and sometimes we clash and hurt each other. And th this Christmas, I had high hopes for one great evening with him, and I was sitting having dinner with him and my sister and my brother-in-law. We were having a great time, nice food, nice wine. You know, it would have been an Instagram moment of just, this is a really happy family. Um, and then he said something that he keeps saying to me over the last year that keeps prodding me, and I just get a bit hurt by it. So I challenged him on it. We, we say everything in our family that's very open. And um, what I thought was a little poke that might come back with a little poke came back with a hand grenade and literally blew me out of the water. But yeah, often it, it's moments like these that expose the idol. My idol was that I was putting my parents' opinion of me before God's opinion of me. And actually, if we don't know that we're accepted by God... We can't share that love with other people. We can't share that, that they are accepted by God, that they are loved. And if there's anyone in this room who's struggling with that, please know you are so loved and you're not forgotten. You're deeply, deeply loved. And um, if you struggle in this area, you will be prone to idolatry. You will be prone to look to other things to make you feel like you're worth something. You will strive to try and prove who you are whether that's in your job or your reputation or social media or with your spouse. And when those things fail you, you'll fall apart. But we can have peace with God. And we can be free from the anxiety of comparison. Um, we live in an incredible age, not because of the te technological advancements, but because God has revealed himself to us. He's come to earth and he's shown us what heaven looks like. He healed the sick, he raised the dead, he set people free. And he looked radically, radically different to everyone else here. He didn't try and fit in. He didn't live for himself. He had his eyes fixed on the Father. He didn't store up for himself treasures on earth. I mean, he was the king of heaven. He didn't come and find a palace for himself, did he? He didn't know where he would lay his head every night. He didn't worry about his image. His, he didn't worry about getting married. He didn't even care what people thought of him in, in the sense that he didn't try to please people. He didn't get jealous of his friends. He instead loved them and promoted them. And he just didn't have any insecurities because he knew who he was and he knew what he was called to. And he had peace with God. You know, he lived 33 years on this earth. That is not very long at all. And he only lived in, and worked in this tiny little area in Palestine, bits of Jordan and Lebanon. It's a small pocket of the world. He didn't feel the need to be everywhere. You know, he had the power to heal anyone. And, and I think we can sometimes get overwhelmed. I think, oh, I've got to do this, and I've got to do that, and I've got to help that person, and I've got to do that. And it's like, Jesus didn't do that. He took his lead from the Father. He obeyed him, and he humbled himself to say, I know the Father is good, and I trust you. And he said, not my will be done, but yours. And from the age of Adam and Eve until now, we all have that choice to say, my will, uh, your will be done or my will be done. And um, we have that choice. Do we want to trust God and submit to his will? Or do we want to do things our own way? Are we going to be like Martha who 
just busies herself trying to do everything and be everywhere? Or are we going to be like Mary who sits at the feet of Jesus? And Jesus said to, to Martha, only one thing is necessary. Mary chose the good portion and it won't be taken away from her. When we choose Jesus, nothing can separate us from him. And Mary got that. So the love of Jesus is so powerful. It's more powerful than death. That's why he could go to the cross, his face set like flint, braver than any man you've ever met, because of the hope on the other side of the grave, because of the joy set before him. In Hebrews it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He knew the joy to come. He knew what was on the other side. He knew that by his death it was so pure that that sacrifice was enough to pay for all our debt, that we, that we create all our shame, all our idolatry. He could wipe that away by that one sacrifice. And just like Jesus submitted to the Father's will, we have to die to ourselves if we really want to be free from anxiety. We have to die to the idea that we're God and that we can control things. In Mark 8, it says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And whoever wants to save their life must lose it. And whoever, wants, whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. We live in a really fast-paced age. But every human on this earth has one thing that matters. To slow down and to look at Jesus. And as we die to ourselves and humble ourselves before God... Just as Jesus was raised from the dead, as we trust in him, we can be raised with him into new life. And we can start living how we're designed to live, live in the fullness. And we can let the word of God change us and shape us and, and step into the power and the freedom that we're born for. Because God's called us to a really impossible life. <laughs> and we can only do the things he's called us to do by his power. We can't do it in our own strength. So if we really are children of God, we should be seeing miracles. There should be people who don't know God looking at us thinking, I've got FOMO. I want to be like them. I want to see the power of God coming. I want to be able to co-work with God and bring the kingdom of heaven. I want to pray for the sick and see them healed. I want to pray for people and see them set free from addiction or oppression. We should be creating FOMO for people that aren't Christians. Um, Bill Johnson says, most people reduce their ministry to what is humanly possible, but it is the supernatural breakthrough on things that are impossible that give us the impact on the world around us. We've spent too long worrying about ourselves and being influenced by our culture. We really need to know our identity in Christ. The Bible says when we see him, we will be like him. So I'll just end on just thinking about what does he look like? What does Jesus look like? Because the more time we spend with him, the more we're going to look like him. He is the light of the world. As we spend time with him, we, we too can become the light of the world. He loves people with an everlasting love. He enables us to love people with an everlasting love, even when they hurt you. He is the righteousness of God. We become righteous in him. He is humble in heart. We are humbled as we trust in him. He is all the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. He is kind, he is peaceful, he is faithful, he is generous, he is patient, he is wise, he is thankful. We can be all these things. But until we look through the perspective of who we are in Christ as new creations, we'll keep stumbling, never quite reaching our potential, prone to still looking to the next thing, the next 
thing that's being advertised, the next social media, TV, film that's telling us we're going to be happy, thinking the world has something better to offer us. But we need to go back to our original question. Why does everyone else's life look better than mine? And as Christians, we need to, we've got the liberty to talk directly to God and say, Father God, I know I am loved and accepted by you in Jesus. I know I am loved and accepted by you in Jesus. How do you want me to bring the kingdom in the time that I have left on this earth? How can I present my body to you as a living sacrifice? And he will renew and transform our mind by the power of his word and the Holy Spirit. And the anxieties of this world will have no hold on us. He is our beginning and he is our end. We will go back to him. But whilst we're here, we've been given specific times and specific places and specific purpose to bring his kingdom. If you're not a Christian here, you have a choice while you're still alive, whether you choose to follow him or whether you don't. And uh, you don't know how long you'll be here. But if you do choose to follow him, you can repent of your sins and know true freedom from all your sins. And you can give him your life and he will breathe his Holy Spirit into you. He will be available for you to talk to every day. He will guide you in all your ways. And if you listen and obey him, he will strengthen you when you are weak. He will give you joy even when you mourn. He will turn your ashes and your brokenness into beauty and wholeness. He will love you with an everlasting love. And you will find true peace in him. You are adopted and loved in him. So we all have a a race to run in this life. Um, I felt reminded of that as I was preparing, that we all have a race to run. We have specific times and purposes. But it's not just our individualistic race. We have a collective race to run as a family. And we're all members of this body. And we all need each other. And there is people missing that are friends and family that don't know Jesus yet. And until we live up to our calling and allow the word of God to change us and transform us, we won't run free from the idolatry that gets us down. And um, we need to tell people of the good news. We need to call other people into this light. We need to die to our dreams so that we can live for his dreams. And it hurts. It really hurts as you die to your dreams. But I can tell you it is way, way, way more fulfilling and exciting than you can ever imagine running a race with Jesus. So how do we respond to this? If maybe something I said made you think of an idol maybe that you've held in your heart, we need to repent of that thing. We need to be quick to repent. God, Jesus said that God is faithful and just and he will forgive us our sins and purify us and cleanse us. So I think it might be good as we take bread and wine, if you feel like something's come off that you feel, maybe I need to repent of this thing. Please, the Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 11 says that we are to take communion in a worthy manner. So please repent if there's something that's come off. Please repent. Be quick to repent. With Find someone to pray with before you take the bread and the wine. Um, and if you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to turn from living a life apart from God, You can follow him today. You can turn away from doing things your own way and you can repent of your sins and put your trust in him and he will come and fill you with his Holy Spirit and his true peace. So please do come and find one of us to pray with you if that is what you want to do. Or if anyone's just struggling with anxiety or needs healing, we would love to pray for you. But before we do that, I just want to take all of us through a prayer, a very short prayer. 
So in Philippians 4, verse 5, um, verse 6, verse 5, 6. It says, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What I want you to do is just think, if anything came up now that you think maybe this is an anxiety or an idol, kind of what Mike was talking about last week, sometimes you have to do something physical. Imagine putting that thing in a box. Just imagine that wherever that thing is, put it in a box and just hold the box out. And as we pray, we're just going to give this anxiety, this idol to Jesus. Um, Yeah, I thank you, Lord, that you are at hand, that you are here with us. I thank you that we do not need to be anxious about anything. And I pray for us now that as we bring this thing in this box to you, Lord Jesus, Lord, that that we we just give our hearts to you and we give this thing to you and we say we will not make an idol of it, Lord, but we, we give it to you and we thank you so much that you are powerful enough to take away our anxieties. You are powerful enough to bring us true peace. And we thank you for our lives and the places that you've put us and the space that you've given us and the, and the specific time that you've put us in. We thank you for our lives and we thank you for the gifts you've given us. And right now we give you this thing and we pray that you help us not to fall into temptation to be um, tempted to make an idol of this thing I pray that you would help us know true freedom to enjoy this gift and let it bring us closer to you and I pray Lord that the peace your peace which surpasses all understanding will guard and shield our hearts and our minds in Jesus Amen